Hey, we want to say welcome, and uh, I'm sure there will be more people joining us. Um, it's looking pretty sparse in here, but good job being on time. Way to go. Uh, if you're new with us, we're so glad that you're here. We hope that you find this to be a welcoming people and place. And uh, we just want to invite the Spirit to um, just move in our hearts and in our minds uh, among us and encourage us and challenge and convict us. Just do what the, the Holy Spirit does uh, when we're aware of his presence. And so um, let's invite him to be in and among us this morning. And I, I want to sing just a verse of a very familiar song as a call to worship. And if you know the lyrics of this song, I just want to invite you to close your eyes and just pray this prayer with us as we sing. Let's sing it together. Come thou fount. Come thou fount of every blessing. Tune my heart to sing thy grace. In streams of mercy, never ceasing, call for songs of loudest praise. And teach me some We want to fix our eyes on you, set our attention on you this morning. Thank you for being present to us when we are present to you. Make us aware of your presence, we ask, in your name and for your glory, Jesus, amen. Come on in and find a seat. I want to say welcome again. If you're new, we're glad that you're here with us. Uh, if you've been around for a while, um, more recently, you'll notice that we've, we've been doing a lot of confess, confession together recently. Have you noticed that? And that's on purpose because this is a spiritual rhythm that I really think that we don't just stumble into. <laughs> we need to be led into it. We need to be reminded, hey, it's good to confess the truth about ourselves, about God. And um, yeah, there's life and there's healing in that. And so uh, this morning, we're going to say, we're going to confess together again as well. Uh, but this time, we're going to use a, a prayer, a creedal confession. Um, it's a form of one that's been used for centuries by the church to remind us of the character and nature of God and life, our life with God. And so we're going to sing a song that you probably know in Christ alone. And throughout this song, we're going we're gonna to confess what we believe together. And I want to invite you to, every time I start to read, read with me. And um, finally, if, if you're new to all this, and you're like, I don't think I can affirm that. I just don't, I don't know that I believe it. That's okay. You're welcome here too. And we just want to invite you to be present with us as we come around Christ um, with this confession. So if you would, would you stand with me? And let's affirm our confession. We believe in one God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, of all that is seen and unseen. He is 
the Alpha and Omega, beginning and end. In Christ alone, my hope is found. He is my light, my strength, my song. This cornerstone, this solid ground. Lord, Jesus Christ, the only Son of God, eternally begotten of the Father, light from light, true God from true God, begotten, not made, of one being with the Father. Through Him all things were made. For us and for our salvation, He came down from heaven. By the power of the Holy Spirit, He became incarnate from the Virgin Mary. And while still fully God, he was made fully man.
Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life. He proceeds from the Father and the Son, and with the Father and the Son is worshiped and glorified. He spoke through the prophets. We believe that all those regenerated by the Holy Spirit through faith alone, in Christ alone, belong to the one true universal church. And we look forward to the resurrection of the dead and to life in the world to come. Amen. So we can live with no guilt in life and no fear in death because he's Lord over all. Let's sing it together. No guilt in life. Sing it out, church.
scripture Philippians 3 1 through 11 further my brothers and sisters rejoice in the Lord it is no trouble for me to write the same things to you again and it is a safeguard for you watch out for those dogs those evildoers those mutilators of the flesh for it is we who are the circumcision we who serve God by his spirit who boast in Christ Jesus and who put no confidence in the flesh Though I myself have reason for such confidence, if someone else thinks they have reason to put, put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law, a Pharisee. As for zeal, persecuted the church. As for righteousness, based on the law, faultless. But whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. 
I consider them garbage, that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having righteousness of, of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. I want to know Christ, yes, to participate in his suffering, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining the resurrection from the dead. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Pray with me. Oh Lord, walk these aisles this morning. Lord, move among us. Convict our hearts. Show us where we can be more like you. Lord, we do want to know you in every facet of our lives. Oh Lord, draw us near. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Well, good morning, everybody. My name is Mickey. I'm one of your staff here at Fellowship and uh, want to uh, let you know about all the congregations of Fellowship. We are one church made up of uh, multiple congregations, and it's an amazing thing. They continue to grow, every one of them, in every facet, in small groups. It, it, you know, we all of... All of uh, uh, or not all of, but so many people left Fellowship Rogers to help uh, fill this campus, and they're filling right back in again. I mean, it's just amazing, all the good things that are happening. One of the things that we're focused on right now is uh, our campus at Fellowship Rogers. Uh, it's a quarter of a century old, and so we're needing to, to do some work there and make some improvements, and uh, I'm letting all the congregations know uh, so that you can help them like they help you build this facility. Uh, we want to help them get that done and, and pay for it, not to go into any debt or anything like that, but there are lots of things that need to be done. And so we're focusing on that. So if you, when you go to the giving page on our website, when you go to your account, you'll see uh, capital improvements. And so that will help them do the things that they need to do. So please keep that in mind. Let's help the folks down in Rogers, all right? How many of you have some form of ID on your person today? Okay, let's take your driver's license and pass it forward, and we'll have a contest to see who has the best picture, okay? I've gone to parties before where they do that. You know, everybody turn your driver's license. It's a great icebreaker to see who has the worst driver's license picture. But ID is required, like this guy. You know, I know you looked and you thought that was Jim Hall, right? But uh, when he had long hair, but no, that's, that's Thor. We took his address off there so you won't go to his house. Um, but we all need some, of, some form of ID because there are so many places that they want you to be able to prove that you are who you say you are, right? You've got to be able to prove it with some form of ID so it can be scanned whether it's a passport if you're traveling to another country or you're coming back into this country, you need to be able to prove that you are who you say you are. Identification is required. Identification with Christ is demonstrated by a desire to know him in every facet of our lives. Several years ago, uh, many years ago, when I was leading worship, I did a study all the way through the Bible Took me three years to do it, but I identified every word or form of word used for worship, and I did a study on why it was there. Why is this word here? What does it mean? And by a vast majority, the word for worship, and I'm not talking about music. 
If we define worship, the word worship as music, it's, it's not just music. It's not just music. Anything we do in life has the possibility of becoming an act of worship if our hearts and motives are right before God. Whether it's digging a ditch or washing dishes, whatever it is, it can be an act of worship. And so every word for worship in the Bible, I studied those, and the vast majority of them had to do with identification. Whole people groups and nations throughout the scriptures were identified by whom they worshiped. And so identification with Christ is demonstrated by a desire to know him in every facet of our lives. You have an ID that proves who you say you are, but how does someone know that you are a follower of Christ? Do you have a card? Do you have a card that says, oh, I believe in Jesus? No. It doesn't work like that, does it? It's, Jesus said they will know you by your love for one another, correct? It's by our words and by our actions that other people identify us as believers in Jesus Christ. And so we're going to see that in our passage today, that identification with Christ is found in knowing Christ in every facet of our lives. So we're in Philippians chapter 3 and verse 1. He starts with this word, further. Now we've just come off a series of therefores. Four therefores. Therefore this, therefore that, therefore this. But now he comes to a new word, further. You could also write in there, and so. And so, because of all that, and so, my brothers and sisters, he's writing to believers, isn't he? He's writing to the church at Philippi, the Philippian jailer, the the young lady who he healed of a demon, Lydia, who met Christ down by the river. All of these people in the Philippian church, he's writing to them. And I like the newer versions because where it's inclusive of men and women, where it should be in the Greek, it does so in the newer version. So he says here, brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. Fifteen times in the book of Philippians, there is some variation of the idea of joy or rejoicing. And so he says it here, rejoice in the Lord, not rejoicing in his circumstances. You think he liked being in prison, being in chains? No, no more than you would. But he's rejoicing in the Lord. He says rejoice in In the Lord. And he said, it's no trouble for me to write the same things to you again. It is a safeguard for you. How is rejoicing in the Lord a safeguard for us? Because you see, our joy transcends the circumstances, doesn't it? If we have a joy deep in our heart, it will transcend any circumstance that we're in. He'll say this in Philippians chapter 4. It's, it's whatever the circumstance. He said, uh, he said uh, um, whatever happens to you, don't be anxious about anything. But present your prayers and your petitions to God. And the peace of God that transcends, surpasses all understanding. And we can't even fathom it. It will guard, it will safeguard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. So whatever comes your way, because of the joy of Christ, you can say it's going to be all right. Paul will also say in chapter 4, I've learned to be content, whatever the circumstance. 
Regardless of what it is, I'm content because he had the joy of the Lord in those circumstances. Then in verse 2, he says, watch out for those dogs, those evildoers, those mutilators of the flesh. Enter the joy stealers. Enter the joy stealers. Those dogs. Now, you've got to understand something. The Jews in that day did not have these little genetically engineered peanut munching poochies that you have at your house that go to the groomer once a month that you take to the vet and you pay more for them and their medical bills than you do yourself. That was what they had, these little, or that's what we have, these little fluffy poochies. But they didn't see dogs like that at all. They saw dogs as nasty scavengers. I saw that in India when I was there. I mean, we were trying to play uh, uh, ball out in the street, and the dogs would hide under the cars and jump out and try to bite us, you know. They were scavengers, nasty things, sort of like this. That's, that's how they viewed a dog in their day. It would have been like we view a possum. Anybody here got a possum for a pet? No, they are nasty scavengers. A couple of years ago, I have this little cooking station on my patio, and it has a, a stainless steel drawer there where I keep uh, cooking utensils, and uh, it's a self-closing drawer. But somehow, a possum had opened that thing and got in it. And my wife said for about three or four days, our little dog had gone up there sniffing. You know, what's, what's going on there? And she didn't open the drawer, and I didn't open it for several days. But when I did, there's this delayed reaction, you know. I'm thinking, like, what kind of potholder did she get me uh, to put it here? And then I realized that's a possum, you know, and, and he didn't hurt me, but I almost hurt myself trying to get away. And then I had to, you know, he was, he was pretty down and out by then. I had to help him out, and he creeped off back in the woods. Uh, but we would never see that as a pet. And that's how they looked at dogs back in their day. You would have never heard Paul go, he wouldn't have called a possum to it. And so who's he talking about here? He says, watch out for those dogs, those evildoers. And then he gives it away, those mutilators of the flesh. He's talking about the Judaizers that we read about in Galatians. They were, they were people who wanted a little bit of Jesus and a whole lot of the law. They thought to be righteous before God that you had not only to have Jesus, they accepted that, but they had it all messed up in their warped theology. They thought you still had to follow all the law. And Paul says, uh-uh, uh-uh. It does not work like that. And you've got to understand something about the Jews in that day. It wasn't through their righteousness at the temple they were saved. They thought they were saved just because they were born a Jew. But if you were separated from the temple, if you weren't allowed to go to the temple, it was like you were being kept away from God. And so, what he's saying here, these mutilators of the flesh, what he's trying to tell them is they're trying to mess with your identity in Christ. They're trying to add something on to what you already have. The circumcision was a matter of, of the heart. And in that day, circumcision meant that they were in covenant and in dedicated to God. That's what it meant in the Old Testament. But also you'll see in the Old Testament that it was a matter of the heart. Look at verse 3. He says this, for it is we who are the circumcision, we who serve God by his spirit, who boast in Christ Jesus and who put no confidence 
in the flesh. You see, following the law was a matter of the flesh. We put no confidence in the flesh. It's a matter of the heart. Though, he says, I myself have reasons for such confidence. His identity was in Christ. But he's telling them, if you want confidence in the law, look at my life. Look at what I went through. And then he gives them a list. He said, if someone thinks they have reasons, this is verse 4, if someone thinks they have reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. He's not bragging. He's just telling the truth. And then he gives them a checklist. I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, just like Leviticus 12 tells us. Check. Check. Got that one off. Of the tribe of Benjamin. It was a highly regarded tribe. Tribe of Benjamin gave Israel their first king. Later on, they, they would morph into the tribe of Judah. Who, who came from the tribe of Judah? The lion of the tribe of Judah, Jesus. So it was a highly regarded tribe that he came from. Check. His parents were Jews. He said, I'm a Hebrew of Hebrews. Parents were Jews. He was a Jew. He was ed educated as a Jew. Check. In regard to the law, a Pharisee. Part of the elite. Check. It's a very high position. As for zeal, persecuting the church. He, he carried out the Pharisees' work. Their dirty work against the church. Persecuting believers. Check. As for righteousness based on the law, faultless. He was the first in his class. He was an overachiever. Check. Any of... Any of you guys here who are Jews, he's saying, any of you surpassed that? No, I don't think so. He was number one in his class. That was Paul. But after being confronted by Christ on the road to Damascus, he became a fully devoted follower of Christ, filled and empowered with the Holy Spirit. And I want you to remember this. If you are a fully devoted follower of Christ, filled and empowered by the Holy Spirit, you are an unstoppable force. Amen? We should strive for that all of our lives. You're an unstoppable force before God and before the world. He faced persecution at every point. He lived his life totally for Christ, 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 Christ. He left it all on the field until Nero persecuted him in 64 AD. That was Paul. Prior to that, he was the worst enemy of the church, the way, prior to his salvation. Acts 3, Luke describes it like this. He says, but Paul began to destroy the church, going from house to house. Look at this. He dragged off both men and women and put them in prison. He was a terrorist. He dragged people out of their homes and put them into prison. Acts 9, meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the disciples. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. Anybody. And then he describes himself in Acts 22, when, right before he started the riot. He said, I persecuted the followers of this way to their death, arresting both men and women and throwing them into prison. As the high priest and all the council can testify, uh, themselves can testify, I even obtained letters from them to their associates in Damascus and went there 
to bring these people as prisoners to Jerusalem to be punished. He was one bad onion where the church was concerned. But everything changed when Jesus appeared to him on that road to Damascus. His identity changed. Verse 7, but look how he described it. But whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss. All those gains he made as a Jew, he said, I consider them loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything of loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus Christ, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. What did Paul lose when he gave his life to Christ? He lost position, he lost power. He lost prosperity, and he lost peace, just to name a few. Just, that, that's just a few. That's just four. Position. I mean, we've already talked about that. He, he, was, you know, he was one of the highest rankings. He commanded respect just because of who he was and what he was a part of. Power. He wielded a certain amount of power. We read uh, in Acts where... Uh, Stephen was stoned. They laid their coats at the feet of Saul, who was Paul. He gave them the authority to stone Stephen to death. He lost prosperity. High-ranking Pharisees did quite well. Uh, they've excavated their homes there in Jerusalem, and, and they live pretty high on the hog. And he lost peace. He lost peace. Because for the rest of his life, he would look over his shoulder because they would be after him, trying to kill him. You see, when he joined the other team, he, began, he became a traitor to them. Look what he says in 2 Corinthians 11. I have worked much harder, been in prison more frequently, been flogged more severely, and been exposed to death again and again. Five times I received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. What's the big deal? 40 lashes minus one. Because 40 lashes was a death sentence. It would kill you. And so they just gave him 39. Five times he received that. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was pelted with stones. We know that happened in Lystra. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I have been constantly on the move. I have been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my fellow Jews, in danger from Gentiles. That's just about everybody. In danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, and in danger from false believers. I've labored and toiled, and I've often gone without sleep. I have known hunger and thirst, and have often gone without food. I have been cold and naked. And besides everything else, I face daily the pressure of putting up with all of you. If someone endured those things today, we would write songs about them. Books would be written about them. We would celebrate their sacrifice. And Paul looked over his shoulder for the rest of his life. But I want you to look at how he describes this in 2 Corinthians 4. He'd already gone through all this. He was knocked down, but not out. He says, therefore, we do not lose heart, though outwardly we are wasting away. Can you imagine the scars on his body from all that he went through? Though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. 
and then mark this in your Bible, for our light and momentary trouble. Would you describe what I just read for you as light and momentary? For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. That's Paul. That's our example. Verse 8. I consider them, position, power, prosperity, peace, garbage. <laughs> garbage. He considers them rubbish that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own, of the flesh, of my own, things I can do, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. Folks, that's justification. It's the miracle of the moment. It's just as though you'd never sinned. We talk about justification and sanctification. Justification is that moment when you realize that God is everything and I am nothing and you place your trust in him. Sanctification is that, that, that work of a lifetime where we're separated uh, unto God and from the world and, and over a period of time we become like Christ. But he was justified. On the basis of faith. I like what Warren Wearsby said about this. He said Paul had to lose his religion before he could gain the righteousness of Christ. All those works of the law, he said that's garbage. That's garbage compared to knowing Christ. There's other verses that elaborate this justification that I want to read for you. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. You know this word. This, you need to be reminded of this often. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works so that no one could boast. If we could earn our salvation, we could say, look what I've done. I've made it. But it's not that. It's not what we've done. It's what Christ has done. How arrogant to think that we could ever deserve the gift of salvation. How arrogant. Look at this next one. Romans 8. Therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Put that on your mirror. Let that be the first thing you read every day when Satan tries to tear you down. Remember that there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Romans 3.24 And all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. Romans 3, 28. For we maintain that a person is justified by faith apart from the works of the law. Romans 5, 1. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Romans 5, 9. Since we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? Romans 10, 10. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth. You profess and are saved. Do you need more evidence? Of justification? By grace through faith. I accepted Christ when I was nine years old. 
And when I got up off my knees, the first person I thought about was my grandfather. He was my hero. And I knew he didn't know the Lord. He didn't go to church. He didn't believe. He, he was a pretty rough old guy. We lived on a farm, and I lived just across the field from him. And my grandparents' house was my place of refuge. That's where I would go whenever I had the chance. I witnessed to him for almost 30 years. The spring before he died, I tried to witness to him at Thanksgiving. He got up and walked out of the room. When I went back at Christmas, I shared, tried to share Christ with him again. And this time he cussed me and walked out of the room. I was down a few months later in the spring, and, and my, on the other side of the family, my uh, uh, paternal grandmother had passed away, and I was there for the funeral, and my mother would walk across the field every morning and take my grandfather breakfast. My grandmother had died, and so she would take care of him and cook him breakfast. She came back to the house, and I was staying with her, and she said, something's wrong with Pat. He's sick. I called him Pat. That was his name. So I went over to check on Pat, and sure enough, he was sick. And he was sitting on the edge of his bed, and he said, boy, I almost died last night. I almost died last night. He'd already had a stroke, and he'd had a heart attack that night, but he'd lived through it. Boy, I almost died last night. And I wondered, do I share Christ with him one more time? Or is he going to stroke out on me because he's so mad right here? I really had a battle with myself. Do I, am I more concerned about his health or his soul? I, so I went for it. And I shared with him again. I shared the scriptures. I said, I said, Pat, it's not anything that you could ever do to earn salvation. It's what Christ has already done. And he offers it to you as a free gift. There's nothing you could ever do to earn or deserve it. And I got up the strength to ask one more time. Would you like to pray? You see, I'd given up on him. Would you like to pray? And he said, yeah. And there that old man sitting on the edge of his bed with nothing but his boxer shorts and his old white hair sticking straight up. He prayed the most beautiful, simple prayer and asked Christ to come into his heart. He died a few days later. After that, I began to question, you know, how can somebody live their whole life and come down to the end of their life and receive Christ as their Savior? And I began to doubt and but then the Lord reminded me of the parable of the workers where some came in the morning, some came in the middle of the day, and some came right before quitting time, and God paid them all the same. Why? Because it was the master's to give. It was his to give. And how arrogant of me to think that somehow by my righteous works I could deserve salvation over him. It's the master's to give. 
That's justification. It's his gift to give. Furthermore, Paul. Paul was granted the gift of salvation on the road to Damascus before he ever did a thing. Because he acknowledged the Lord and he believed in him. It was later on that he would do good works, not for his salvation, but because of his salvation. As a way of saying, thank you, Lord, for what you've promised and given me. And now Paul exclaims that he wants to be identified with, with Christ in every aspect of his being. Theologians are all over the place on verses 10 and 11, but I think it's a celebration and an exclamation of what he has been telling us about justification. He says, I want to know, experientially know. I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection of the dead. He said, I want to know Christ in the power of that resurrection that raised him from the dead there in Jerusalem. I want to know Christ in his sufferings. I'm willing to suffer him. I'm willing to die for him. And then this somehow, I think he is confused by resurrection and being taken up to heaven as we are. How is God going to put all that together? And he says, somehow to attain to the resurrection of the dead. I want to know Christ. Do you? I want to know Christ. You see, that was his identity. And you don't find it on a card. It's not on a card. It's in the life we live. It's in the thoughts we think. It's in where we dedicate ourselves. That is our identity in Christ. And I beg of you, don't leave this room today not knowing him. There's no reason for you not to know him. That tug you feel in your heart right now is him. If you're not sure if you know Christ as your Savior, then you probably don't. Because there are hundreds of us in this room will tell you, I know. It changed everything about me. I know that I know that I know that I know. And so I want to give you the opportunity this morning to ask Jesus Christ to come into your heart. Just to pray a prayer. Your heart speaking to the heart of God and you ask him to come into your life. Would you bow with me? Some of you, this is the biggest decision you'll ever make. Just to pray this prayer earnestly and say, Lord, I'm all in. And so I want to pray a prayer to help you pray. Because perhaps you don't know just exactly what to say. And I want everyone in this room to repeat these words after me to make those who might be praying it for the first time to feel more comfortable. So just say this to the Lord, Lord Jesus, I ask you to come into my heart right now. I believe you died on the cross and rose again for me. I know I'm a sinner 
I've done wrong. I ask you to forgive my sin. To cleanse me from all unrighteousness. I now accept you as my Savior. And I will follow you as my Lord. All the days of my life. Thank you for saving me. Lord, we thank you for this free gift of salvation. Lord, that you have done all the work on the cross for us and that we can receive it. Though we don't deserve it. Lord, that you offer this to us. We thank you for your word that assures us over and over and over and over again. That your salvation is a free gift. For those of you who prayed this morning that prayer for the first time. I want to share a scripture with you. When you go back in a Bible and you find John 647. And you remember this. You put your name by it. You put a date on it. Because Jesus said, not Mickey. Jesus said, the one who believes will have eternal life. The one who believes will have eternal life. And that is your assurance of salvation. If you prayed to receive Christ this morning, I pray that you will tell someone. Tell them, let us help you begin your new journey with Christ. Your life will never, ever be the same. This morning is a celebration of what Christ has done for us. We're going to remember Him in communion. It's an ordinance whereby we celebrate his death on the cross, because it paid for all of our sins. It justified us before him. So prepare your heart as the ushers begin to serve.
night he was betrayed, Jesus took the bread, and after giving thanks, he broke it. He gave it to his disciples, and he said, as often as you do this, do it in remembrance of me. Let's take and eat. In the same way, he took the cup, This is the new covenant in my blood. As often as you drink it, drink it in remembrance of me. Let's drink it together. It's good to be in the house of the Lord with you. It's good to just come around Jesus. Remember who he is. Remember what he shows us about the Father's heart for us. Unbelievable. If you are a parent in the room, I have an announcement for you. There is a meeting immediately after this service when we walk out those doors. Um, so don't miss that over in the FSM room. Um, if you prayed that prayer for the first time, we're so grateful. And uh, we have a prayer team down here that's available. And if you just need to share it with somebody, come share it with them. They'll rejoice with you. Uh, if, if you prayed it for the first time in a long time or, or the millionth time, let it be a reminder to you that his grace, salvation is yours. It's yours. So go in the peace of Christ this week. We love you, family. Have a great week.